you know, people, people talk, I think there's a myth of happiness. You know, happiness is, is, uh, we all want to be happy. We, we want to figure out what this magical emotion is and that's what we want to, or this, this state is, and we want to, you know, we, we, we want to be in this state. I think to be happy is potentially to just have an exaggerated version of content. Welcome to Candid Insights. I'm your host, Sahil Badruddin, and joining us today is Reef Karim, a mental health physician and performing artist. He helps people overcome self-limiting and self-sabotaging behavior by expanding their mind. Reef. I'm glad to have you join us. Thanks for having me. Let's start by talking about your journey. You say you've dedicated your life to creative self-expression and helping people tap into their creative powers to lead a mission-driven and express life. Can you share how you've gotten to where you are today? Yeah, it's uh, as I as I every every year it seems like a longer story, right? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, not that I'm old, but it's that story. That story's starting to get more and more complex as we go along. Uh, you know, I feel like for all of us, we have an inner current in our life and 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 an inner wisdom that is supposed to guide us from the day we're born to, um, you know, throughout our life. But the noise of other people, the noise of social media, the noise of society, the noise of other people's wishes, the fears and insecurities that parents may have or extended family or community members or, you know, work or it, it clouds and it, it becomes louder and louder and the volume is turned up so that we don't hear our inner voice and our inner current. And, and for me, you know, the day I was born, my uh, my dad made an announcement. He's like, everyone gather around, gather around. I've decided he will be a doctor. And then there was like this big clap and big moment. And and essentially what that was, was my dad making a declaration that my life has been decided for me and that um, this is the way it was going to be, you know? And, and so th- that began the campaign of... Um, doctorhood like like this guy's gonna be a doctor now that's the way it is uh ready go and uh and so my dad would creep up to my crib late at night and he would whisper doctor 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 um (laughs) i i would like i I, i'd uh i'd get instead of getting legos i would get medical gifts um every every halloween they dress me up as a different type of doctor i mean it was like crazy this this doctor that bad huh it was bad. It got really bad. And so I grew up, I'm, I'm a left-handed Pisces, which means I'm creative. And I would make like Saturday Night Live videos in my living room, you know, like with my brother, with, you know, friends. And, uh, and my mom would be like doing the laundry and, and she would look over and she'd be like, you're not funny, you know, there, there is nothing funny about you. The only thing that would be funny is if you didn't go to medical school. That would be hilarious. You know, like <laughs> everything was about medical school, medical school, medical school. So that was the noise. And the inner current for me was to be a creative person and, and to invent something in the world. And 
immigrant parents and i don't blame them i mean this is this was this is their mentality of coming new people coming to a country wanting the best for their kids i totally get it but there's a battle within all of us between attachment and authenticity and attachment is how we were raised uh what getting getting a loving and 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 bonding connection with our with the people that are raising us wanting to please them and that wanting to please them is to be like them or to listen to them and uh and so there was a lot of pressure to be what my parents wanted but at the same time i have this inner this inner wisdom this this thing I want to do with my life. And that's the authenticity and the authentic part. And those are often in deep battle with each other. And I found that in me and it got crazier and crazier. And it got to the point where I was like, I want to do this. And they're like, you're going to do that. And uh, it got so bad that I'm from Chicago and I, I decided, mm. um, you know, I need to get, I need to get out of here. Like I, I just get, this is too much for me. This is too intense. The pressure here to be something that I don't necessarily want to be is so intense. I'm out of here. So I moved to Austin, Texas and um, I, I kind of worked out there for a while. I actually lived in Houston for a second, um, mm. but, but I was in the Texas area and, um, and my dad, uh, you know, I, I decided I wanted to play in a band. And so I was writing music for this band and I grew my hair long and I started wearing leather pants and like, I don't know, I was being like a rocker kid. I was trying to be like an Indian <laughs> rock star. Right. So, so, uh, I was, I was just trying out life and trying to see what that would be like for me. How old and, were you? What's that? How old were you? I think I was like uh, 23, maybe 22, 23. Um, and I just finished college. And so, uh, I ended up, I ended up just subbing in for a keyboardist in this band that was playing in Austin. And, um, and I'm not a great musician, but I'm a pretty good songwriter. I mean, I think that's my skill is like all the pain of like having no women, uh, growing up in high school and like longing for them and writing poetry about them probably led to writing some good songs. Mm. Um, so, uh, so, so I, uh, I would write these songs and we, uh, a couple of them actually were decent. And so we ended up getting a manager and there's a chance we were going to play at South by Southwest uh, back in the day. And wow. it was a big deal. So I told a lot of people and I was like, you're not going to believe this. Well, my parents found out mm. and uh, I don't know, but six weeks later I'm, I'm walking up to my place kind of later at night. I think I just did a, like a rehearsal or something. And I, I I'm about 10 feet away from the door and I don't live in the greatest neighborhood and the doors open and the lights on and I'm like, Oh my God, I was robbed. Oh my God. And I rush into my place and there's 14 Indian people in my living room <laughs> waiting for me. And I only knew two of them, like my dad and this relative. And, and there was a whole like Indian crisis unit that descended upon me. This is an intervention. Yeah. A career intervention. <laughs> a, a, you're not in medical school intervention. Yeah. No, I, I think it hasn't changed much. Reef. I think it's still doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? I think we still, as a South Asian community, as an immigrant community, haven't really moved away from those. I think it's still it's still a, a, a herd kind of a, a tide we're kind of fighting still. Yeah. It, it, it It's a different type of 
herd mentality or a different type of groupthink. It's a groupthink centered on um, security and you know materialism as well, and it where where security and security includes financial right. Um, every right. type of security is more important than expression. And um, I just don't subscribe to that. Do you think it's it's still practical for some people to... I think that th- there is the stability and the security, but it's still, I mean, in today's economy, in today's world, it seems, I think there's more opportunity than ever to be creative, of course. But then there's more opportunity to also be unstable and you know not secure financially yeah i think the the floor is lower and the ceiling is higher um the uh there's there's a lot of opportunity to go astray and and there's there's also uh, a mentality of um i call it visibility over credibility it's like you don't need to really specialize in anything you don't really need to um, be highly skilled at something. You don't need to take the time, the effort, and the work to develop a, an amazing skill. You just need to be loud. You just need to be visible. You just need to be seen. And if you're seen enough, things will come your way um, over and I don't even mean like work, like, you know, my parents would always say discipline and hard work. Yeah, great. But it's it's about developing uh, a really specialized skill and being able to um, to figure out uh, how 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 to be. I don't want to call it like what life coaches would say, like, you know, be an expert. But uh, but it's 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 how how do you find that expertise that. uh that you want to that you want to uh, to have in your life and to be able to share with other people. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, and there's so much, so many options, so much to kind of explore and develop. I think it's great. I think it's great that uh, we have those chances to kind of uh, explore and put in, in in this globalized world, almost right. The the knowledge, the resources, they're kind of all out there. But then again, you're competing, as you mentioned, with, I think, social media, which has been, if you're the loudest and you make noise and you're controversial and you're sensational, then you don't really have to be skilled and you can find opportunities to kind of share those different, to share anything really, right? Yeah, I mean, look, we live we live in a time right now of, of there's always been racial discord, but but there's but there's a, a really strong sense uh, because of you know a couple of tragedies involving the police um, and individuals. There's a, there's a real strong sense of uh, reporting this, reporting this kind of racial injustice right now. And if if you look at the news, how much of the news is focused on understanding the context? Um, understanding the di- the deeper wisdom of uh, why people are so angry, of uh, where this where this anger and rage um, has been building from, uh, you know, it, it it it's to understand and develop context of something, or 
to just show you sensationalistic images for ratings or for because it's cool or for whatever. Like like you could show riot after riot after riot, car chase after car chase after car chase, like in the news. Or you could show a couple of those and mix that in with interviewing somebody who's on the street, who's reasonable, who says, look, there there are protesters, there are looters, and there are um you know, there are people that are just angry and, and here's why each one of them is doing what they're doing. And if we have a better understanding of it, perhaps insight will ignite, um, you know, some kind of active change. But if you don't have the insight and you're completely focusing on the superficial, um, emotion without understanding the context or insight behind it, you're, you're just going to react based on that, that superficial action. And that includes our news media saying, uh, you know, reporting and, and how they report. Yeah, I agreed. And I think going back a little bit to, uh, it just creates less understanding, more misunderstandings, more. Uh, and I think we live in this world of constant, you know, go, 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 and not really stepping back and understanding, like you, you mentioned yourself, your voice and different things. And I think it leads to, it really leads to more uh, unhappiness, I would say. Yeah. I don't even live for happiness. You know, mm. people, people talk, I think there's a myth of happiness. You know, happiness mm. is, is, uh, we all want to be happy. We, we want to figure out what this magical emotion is and that's what we want to, or this, this state is, and we want to, you know, we, we, we want to be in this state. I think to be happy is potentially to just have an exaggerated version of content and to be content is to be stagnant and, and to be stagnant is like, uh, you're not getting the full spectrum of experience in life uh, that includes good and bad and joy and and rejection and uh, and and everything that comes in between it. Like uh, I, I want I want to express myself for who I am. I want to be original. I want to have an original mindset, and I want to be able to explore creatively the person that I am. And I, I want to share that. I want to teach other people how to explore the inner workings of themselves. You know, like I, I, I always mention to people, you know, I, I show people how to explore the unexplored parts of themselves to realize who they're meant to be. And I feel like sometimes happiness gets in the way of that because it's a state that people desire to be such that they don't do certain things and don't explore certain aspects of themselves to get there. I agree. And I think the better word for me, at least, is fulfillment in the sense that it's, it's, I think happiness is used in the short term. And I think fulfillment I use in the long term, right? It's in the macro where you face all those things that you mentioned in the middle, right? Of you know, loss, a pain, uh, you know, suffering, rejection, all, all those different things that really what it means to be human, including joy and, you know, uh, right, Gra I think gratification, all those different things. Uh, so how do you help, I want to connect the two, how do you help people uh, kind of become their own unique person and then still reach this state of fulfillment, as I say? I think it's it's 
quite interconnected, right? Yeah, I, to continue on that story. So yeah, I think the story will help to to kind of show that. Um, I went to medical school. I did everything you need to do to be a good doctor. Um, I I got I had a high academic title at you know UCLA. I um, I published in a bunch of journals. I started my own treatment center in Beverly Hills. I you know quoted all the time, doing lots of media as a doctor, you know, all of that. And I wasn't happy and, and I wasn't fulfilled and I didn't feel like my life was meaningful. And, uh, and it's because I wasn't aligned and there's, there's a word in the psychological space called repression. And I, I use these words a lot, repression and suppression. Suppression is when you hold back something when you in this case when you hold back who you are and you consciously hold back who you are and uh, repression is an unconscious holding back of who you are and i talk about i i have this whole um this whole graphic about the uh the, the consequences of repression or the repression cascade whereby you know you you shut yourself your inner self off to uh, appease somebody people pleasing for your boss, your wife, your husband, your parents, your whatever. And uh, initially it's probably conscious because I don't want to show who I am because it will be too difficult for this scenario. Um, then it becomes unconscious. Then you become not really aligned with what you want to do. So you start making choices that aren't choices you would normally make. It could be a job. It could be who you date. It could be, um, you know, doing something that just doesn't really, you don't believe in. It's, it's like the antithesis of what you believe in. Then suddenly you become inauthentic. And when you're inauthentic, you're like, okay, I'm starting to live a life that's not even mine. Like what is going on right now? And, and if you feel trapped and stuck and you can't get out of it, um, all of a sudden you're, you're like a robot and, and that robotic lifestyle leads to feelings of wanting to escape. And so people escape by drinking, by partying, by drugs, by a lot of anger, by, um, you know, behaviors like gambling or shopping, or you can get addicted to sports and like, like you just get distracted and, and you allow yourself to be distracted because you're not really leading a life that's meaningful and, and fulfilled and purposeful. So for me, I, I, the consequences of my repression and I think a lot of people are repressed and a lot of people are suppressed. Uh, but the consequences for me became physical and spiritual as well as emotional. Like I talk about pain, there's physical pain, there's emotional pain, there's spiritual pain. All three of them hit me at the exact same time. And I started developing a lot of back pain. I couldn't get out of bed. At, at one point, I had a small, a little disc herniation from a car accident, but because of stress, it went from like a one or two millimeter disc herniation to a 10 millimeter disc herniation. I needed back surgery. And I got to the point where I just dreaded my life. I didn't like it. And I, I couldn't even figure out how I got there. I'm like, wait a second. I'm on paper. I look really successful, but, but this isn't who I am. Like this, the, even the, the people that I, the women that I dated, I was like, I don't even like you for liking me because how could you like I'm not this guy. Like they liked someone who I wasn't. And I knew that deep down inside. And, and I just, it was, it was a real problem. It was a real alignment problem. And so, um, 
I dove into the thing that I seen help so many other people. And, and that is creativity. Um, when I was at UCLA, I worked with, uh, I worked with a number of patients in, in a, a group called the Im Imagination Workshop. And that is a workshop where we helped psychological and psychiatric patients to learn improvisation skills. And we taught them to sing and dance and we would put on plays once a year. <laughs> it was, uh, it was really, you know, it was really cool. And I learned so much about flexibility in your mind and the ability to shift, the ability to adapt, the ability to handle oneself under, you know, uh, people call it resilience now, but like un under difficult circumstances. Uh, it, it, creativity is such a powerful tool to open up your mind and expand your mind. But I think people get lost in like, okay, what does that mean? What is improv part of that? Dance part of that? Acting? How does it work? Storytelling? Writing? Like, tell me, like, how do you, how do you define it? And I think, you know, the artist way, um, you know, dove into it a little bit. Uh, and I decided to take my neuroscience background and the background I have in human behavior, added some philosophy and, and then did a really strong, um, uh, a strong dive into creativity and I built a transformational platform and I put myself through it first. And then I started sharing it with people at the treatment center and then patients and then clients. And now I've started speaking about it. I've got a book on the way and, um, you know, I, I've got a, a show podcast on, uh, blending your cognitive part of your brain and your creative part of your brain. And, uh, I just think it's like a, 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 such a powerful way if it's channeled, harnessed and put into the right technique, it's incredibly powerful. So speaking about that, speaking about what are the things that I don't think you can generalize here. It might be specific to the person and the individual, but what are things that are really help? Do you think, I mean, do you think hurt people for, uh, uh, and like make themselves sabotage themselves in, in terms of their creativity, in terms of their cognitive power, the two things you mentioned. How much time you got? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> give me the, <laughs> give me the short version. Yeah. Right. Like how do people self-sabotage themselves? There's so, so many ways. I mean, look, just think about everybody who's listening should just think, think to themselves, what, obstacles have stood in their way of doing something they wanted or getting something they wanted. And, and if you like, I always tell people to like, you know, you could, you could just spend five minutes, be silent in a room with a task. And your task is how do I self-sabotage my life? How have I in my life self-sabotage? <laughs> and that five minutes becomes 30 minutes or an hour or a day or five days or, you know, whatever it is, because it's like, we all do it. And, 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 and unfortunately what comes along with it is shame. And then we yeah. get rid riddled in this shame and then we feel bad because nobody wants to feel shame because it sucks. So, so, so then you feel shame and you're like, I don't like this exercise anymore. I don't want to do this. And, and you stop doing it. But if right. you, can, if you can disconnect um, the shame from the exercise it's a very valuable exercise. Um, like, for example, an, an inability to say no. A pretty, pretty simple concept, right? But yes. if you can't say no, 
What that tells me is you're conflict avoidant, one, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not strong enough in your mission and your purpose in life. Because if you really know your purpose uh, and you really know what you want to do in life, then uh, then you're going to be able to say no because you're going to have the conviction to be able to say, you know what, that that sounds like a great opportunity, but this is what I'm doing with my life. And mm -hmm. you'll have the confidence to say that. You know, another one is, are you living in the past or living uh, in the present and future? And wh what I when I work with people, I'll be like, okay, tell me who you are. And they'll be like... Uh, well, I'm, I'm Bob and I, uh, I'm a CPA and I, uh, you know, I have my own, um, you know, I have, I, I graduated, I, I got a, you know, I got my degree and I got licensed and, you know, I have mm -hmm. a wife and, um, you know, whatever they'll, they'll just kind of rattle off their description, which is mostly in the past. Their, their description is primarily, Things they have already done to get them to who they are today. So when you think about it, if 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 I were to ask you or ask people in the audience, like uh, or people that are listening, um, you know, tell me about you. See how much of that. Well, now you know the secret. So you know, now you're not going to. Yeah, and it. I've 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 done this exercise, Reef, in the sense that I think we I think default to you know this is what I do and this is you know etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Which really, I think, I think, I think one better way of doing it is this is my mission in life, right? This is who I am, and this is my mission in life. That becomes a good medium to be uh, present and future oriented, rather than past oriented. Yeah, totally agree. And I would add, um, if you define yourself by the past, you will have no vision for the future. And uh, the the ability um, to have vision uh, is incredibly important. So I tell people, write up a futures list and define yourself by the future. So if, if you write up a list of the things you want to accomplish in life later on down the road, call it the futures list. That's what I call it. Um, and you say... Yeah, my name's Bob. Um, I am actively working on building a business to teach people how to do their own financial accounting because I think it's I've seen so many people go bankrupt during times of uncertainty. And you know, I went through a phase in my life where it was really, really difficult. So I just want to be able to share the knowledge that I've learned in finances to help people to to build a better future for themselves by being financially stable. Like that is a completely different. Now I've got a mission. I connect with the person. I feel more emotionally connected to the person. I, I, I get them. I totally get them. And it's a completely different way of seeing how your place in the world and how you connect with others. Agreed. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I think I got from someone was, uh, people don't remember people's name until until they've connected with them. And I think when you connect with the person, you've formed you've actually formed a something that's much deeper and uh, I think lasting. Yeah, and and 
Agreed. And and part of self-sabotage, to bring it back there, another yes. one is being disconnected. I, it, we live in a time right now where um, I firmly believe people have lost their ability to, to authentically connect with each other. And you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, people pleasing and, and we talk about like living mm-hmm. somebody else's life and, uh, being inauthentic on social and, uh, you know, so, so many other things that, uh, that I think people have a hard time truly connecting with each other and that disconnection <clears throat> leads to self-sabotage because when you, when you can't build authentic relationships and you don't know who you are to be able to to connect with somebody, you're going to self-sabotage. No, and I agree with you. And I think what the social media world has done is that it's put people in this instant gratification mode in some ways. And if you think about it, right, authenticity, uh, valuable relationships, lasting relationships, uh, job satisfaction, all those things are not instant gratification metrics. Right. So yeah. by default, you're sabotaging yourself there. Yeah. D- the deeper thinking does de- definitely doesn't go with instant gratification. I find I find social media in regards to neuroscience so fascinating because mm, it is. Yeah. If, if you look at um, the the concept of of almost like digital neuroscience, which is something I play around with a little bit. Um, we have a natural reward system in our brain. This this ventral tegmentum nucleus accumbens. Uh, I could you know give you the whole circuitry, right? This like network, and right. and this network feeds off of um, off of rewards that make us feel good from an evo- a neuro kind of a neurobiological perspective or like evolutionary neurobiology, where we propagate the species to exist and to thrive because we do things that are good for us and we eat when we're hungry and we, when we're thirsty, we drink and we procreate, we do all sorts of other things Um, that causes us to to thrive and to exist. Um, Well, the whole concept of addiction and drugs is the hijacking of that natural reward circuitry. So um, it's it's hijacking this evolution evolutionary circuitry to to survive and then if you look at some of the research where they're looking at imaging like fmri studies i think there's a pet study on this looking mm-hmm. at um self-revelatory behavior meaning me or, or like a person the people studied here revealing something about themselves online um there is a similar dopaminergic hit, um, very brief, very short spike, very short return, um, similar to cigarettes, very, very similar where there's a, a, a deep withdrawal effect because it wasn't a, a, a very long plateaued spike. It was a very short, abrupt spike. So because of that, you get one spike when you promote you get a second spike or second reward when you see validation. So it's it's really imprinting um, or priming the brain to become dependent on this type of reward. Mm, I see. And it's fascinating. You have executives of social media who, you know, this is like 
Sean Parker, who's the founding president of Facebook, they're saying things like they purposely exploited vulnerabilities in human psychology to like figure out how to give you that dopamine hit, right? Mm-hmm. And so the platform was intended to made, you know, for that purpose, almost to be addicting. So, yeah. And it's... It, it... I I have such a hard time with this because like social media is you can't just say hey social media sucks you should get off of it completely forever I guess you could but it's hard like from a business perspective a promotional perspective a networking perspective there are very good uses of social media but Agreed. but there's such a vulnerability that social media should come with like you know an operations manual a vulnerability manual and like um you should uh, like a like you know in medications uh, there's a black box warning it should come with like a black box warning of um this this are these are all the things you should do to protect yourself from the very thing we're going to give you that can enhance your life or destroy your life mm. no it, and it's it's interesting i i wonder how it's going to play out in the upcoming years i, I have no idea I, I i don't i i'm not sure it's uh even the internet, like if you look at, um, if, if, in, in the addiction space, there was a lot of spikes in addiction after the internet because it wasn't just chemical addictions, it was behavioral addictions. Now shopping addicts were getting not just on HSN or QVC, but they could buy on Amazon. Now you, now you got uh, porn addicts that instead of having to go through like magazines or meet people in person, they were looking at online porn. They were like, like technology is as good as it is in some ways, is as bad as it is for vulnerable populations. I want to shift our conversations to relationships. Uh, I believe like relationships have changed so much in the digital age in some ways as well, right? You have, and, and there's so much we can talk about here, but I think just the idea of kind of maintaining relationships differently is so affected in the digital age. How, what have you found? in all your uh, studies. When you say relationships, do you mean romantic or do you mean just friendships and family? Or like, what do you mean by relationships? Yeah, I mean romantic in here, in this case. Well, there's there's new there's new stimuli to deal with, right? Like when you're, mm. like if you're, if you're talking about dating, we all know, and we've all heard, like every stand-up uh, comic has talked about this at some point or another about, um, about you know online dating and the the good and the bad of of that whole thing and and how it's focused on instant gratification and it's focused on visual beauty and it's focused on um uh your ability to write a really good um a really good profile like i uh when i was single back in the day i was like uh online dating had just i think it, i don't know I, I don't i don't remember what the hot one was at the time but whatever it was it was uh I was I was with a buddy of mine and he was getting a lot of a lot of hits on whatever it was a lot of response and uh and I was like what's the magic is it like your pictures because his pictures were terrible and I was like it can't be your pictures he had he had a picture of him in front of like a jet <laughs> picture I'm like where did you take this picture and he's like yeah I just went to the airport and I took a picture in front of the jet <laughs> um, so uh, so his pictures were terrible they were so cheesy they were super cheesy so I'm right. like it's not that so what is it he goes um I had somebody write a, like I hired a woman to write my my 
thing, my ad uh, uh-huh. for, for the dating app. And I was like, okay. And does it help? He goes, nobody was responding to me before. And now like, I, I can't, like, there's too many, like I, I'm overwhelmed. There's too many. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh-huh. what did you write? Like, what, what was the magic? And he's like, I don't know. I just like, she, it, I, she wrote it like what she would want. And it's just completely, people are completely responding. So, so how much of this is him? Does he own the jet? No. Um, does he, does he own the Porsche or whatever it was? He's such a cheesy guy. So all the stuff, all of his pictures, no, he doesn't have, all of it's inauthentic. Um, is, is his ad, his dating ad is what I call it. Um, is that authentic? No, it was written by a woman for him who he paid to write it. That's not authentic. None of it's authentic. So he goes on these dates and um, a lot of the times they're inauthentic dates. And even though he's not a bad guy, he's just, you know, the, the, the dates don't even work or they're, they're a problem. And, and so he's like, for him, he could get lots of dates that are like first and second dates and, and he's fine. But there's so much inauthenticity in it. Um, you're going to hear of all these couples that have met online because they were able to kind of push through the difficulties of, of being online um, in the way that they meet in order to connect. But I still feel like if we haven't quite found the ultimate way to connect uh, in a kind of non-threatening, truly authentic way. I mean, I tell people I love to dance. And so I have a dance background. And so I, I tell people salsa dance, swing dance, go to a bunch of dance classes. You know, it's a great way to meet people. Mm. <laughs> uh, I want to I want to talk about the South Asian community here in terms of just um, the different aspects facing them. I think I let's say particular in America. What What do you think some of the biggest challenges that do we have now as a community? Is it still the same things we discussed earlier about the whole creative aspect of? Uh, you know, being a doctor, getting away from being a doctor or engineer, or are we kind of facing other challenges, of course, mixed in with, I think we're, of course, facing other challenges mixed in with the American milieu, right, that everybody else is facing. But are there certain things that you see as a community we need to kind of be vigilant of? I think there's a lot, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's just part of assimilation, I don't think it's necessarily, I think there's some very, like a variance related. There's some specificity to the South Asian community because there's, there's a lot of tiger parenting. There's, there's a lot of success. There's a lot of, um, vicariously living through their parents. I mean, through their kids still, right? Yeah. There's there's still, I think a lot of parents living, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Through their kids. Um, I think that's obviously a problem. I think the, um, assimilation comes with good and with bad. The more assimilated you are, the, the, the better chance of having a voice because you've kind of figured out the game. Um, when you're an immigrant, you're like, okay, I just got to survive. What do I know? What do I have to do to survive here? Um, Mm. and, and so you're just working all the time, hopefully, and you're, you're building a better life, your family. Um, but when you've assimilated, you've been around, you know, the rules, uh, you, maybe you were born here, you get what's going on, but you're still Brown. So it's like you, you understand what all the rules are. You understand what's up, but 
there's always some brown bad guy in the world that's causing all sorts of issues, right? So that's so uh, so there's always going to be like this, especially for guys, brown men. Um, there's a, there's this flavor of like brown male thing that's still floating around in the undercurrent. So so to um, what which, what is that? Like I said, I think there's um, there's a, an esteem or shame issue that comes up and everybody is going to have to grapple with it at some point. Maybe, maybe not everybody, but a lot, a lot of people in the, in the Brown community or the South Asian community, maybe Mm -hmm. it'll just be a day you're grappling with it, or maybe it'll be a lifetime you're grappling with it. But it's, it's that concept of being the other. And I think the more you're assimilated the more you're like, uh, hey, I, I, I'm American. I was born here. Do you hear an accent? No, there's no accent. Um, I, I know, I know the game of life. I know the rules. I know what's up. Um, uh, I, I, I've got tons of knowledge. I know exactly what's going on. Why are you giving me a hard time? And the hard time might simply be the color of your skin. And so when you're a sim- when you're an immigrant, you can say, okay, I know why maybe I didn't get that opportunity or this person gave me a hard time or whatever. It's probably because I'm an immigrant. I'm new to the country. I don't know all the rules and I have brown skin, but you know what? I don't care because I just need to survive and this place is better than where I came from. Maybe. Um, when you're assimilated, you're like, okay, I, I get, I'm like, I'm just like you. Come on, I am just like you. But if that person doesn't see you as like them, especially because there's some global event that makes them think that way or they're limited in their thinking, then you got to deal with that. And you might spend, like I said, a day thinking about it and going, okay, that's their problem. That's not my problem. I'm going to build enough tolerance and resilience and I'm not going to let this turn into shame or have any kind of lifelong effect on me. Or you might be more sensitive to it. It might be a recurring issue in your life. And you are going to have to spend an active amount of time in your life dealing with it and overcoming it so that you don't become dependent on your shame and change the course of your life because of that shame. The last thing I want to ask you is you mentioned some of the projects you've been doing. You mentioned the podcast. Uh, you have. You said you have the book coming up. Uh, what's your next step? Do you have a dream or goal you're hoping to accomplish in the next year or two? It's uh, being able to blend science, philosophy, and creativity, and and some comedy in there in that create in that creative zone, has always been my inner wisdom, my inner current, and uh, and I feel like I spent the first half of my life. Um, seeking knowledge and i spent the second half of my life sharing wisdom and that's where i am now and i think that uh that's really the direction i'm going which is uh just putting out whatever i I, being a content creator and that content could be in speaking it could be in books it could be in one-man shows it could be in podcasts and variety shows it could be in scripted series it could be in anything but it's a it's really uh, understanding human nature with the, I think 
the the rocky road but unique perspective i've been able to have on life and uh if i can help people to understand their lives better or make their lives better either by entertaining them or by dropping some wisdom and insight then uh you know i think i've done a good job brief thank you so much oh thank you i appreciate it thank you for listening to today's episode with candid insights If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media for updates on future episodes. If you've already subscribed, please leave us a rating or review. It does help new people find the podcast. I'm Sahil Badruddin, your host. And for a transcript of this interview and others, visit my website at sahilbadruddin.com.